You're listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, December 3rd. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be discussing the sharp fall in oil prices this year and what it means for global economic growth and the price of fuel at the pumps. Later in the show I'll be joined by phone by Mark Hennessy, London editor of the Irish Times to discuss George Osborne's autumn statement and its implications for corporation tax in Northern Ireland. First up I'm joined in studio by Tom Noonan, Chief Executive of Irish-owned fuel group Maxall, Connor Falkland of the AA and Barry Halloran, a senior your business journalist with the Irish Times. Tom, we might start with you first. Um, the price of oil has fallen by about 38%, I think, over the past four months or so. Why so? Well, the price of crude oil. Um, there are a number of factors. Demand itself has softened, particularly in, in the Chinese market. Uh, more recently, though, there seems to be something of a, a game being played in relation to uh, the economic price of, of exploring for oil, particularly in the United States, and, and uh, exploring for shale oil. And there's a lot of analysts are suggesting that the Saudi Arabians are trying to drive down the price of crude in order to make the economic price of exploring for shale oil in the States this uneconomic. Yes, it is fracking. Uh, so that that seems to be a, a large factor in it as well. Um, the Russians uh, are also reputed to be a target of the Saudis in terms of uh, the, the share of the crude market that they've got and trying to push back on that. And I, I see the latest position from the Saudis is that they're not really going to consider any reduction in production of any significance unless everyone else, including the Russians, does the same. And what about the other members of OPEC? Where do they stand? Are they in line with the Saudis? Uh, well, really, the thing is dominated by the Saudis, and uh, they are quite enthusiastic. Uh, the rest are quite enthusiastic about um, dropping production, but the Saudis are, are holding out for the moment anyway. Okay. Connor, the 38% drop in crude prices sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you would imagine that this might have fed through to the pumps. Not quite the case. Uh, tell yeah. us why. Uh, well, the, the single biggest reason is tax. But, but even before we get to tax, uh, 38% is a bit false because that's in dollars. And the euro has, strength, has weakened fairly significantly against the dollar over the last number of months. So the euro uh, fall in crude oil is actually only about 22 23%. Does that translate to a 23% drop of the pumps? Uh, no by a long distance. Single reason is tax. When you spend 150 on a litre of petrol, 90 cent of that is tax. And the vast majority of tax is fixed per litre. So it doesn't flex as the litre price moves, as the oil price moves. So the practical effect is it, yeah, we have seen a 20% reduction in oil. What should that mean at the pumps? It doesn't translate to more than maybe 10, 11 cents. And that's probably what we've seen. Very regularly in the AA, we get AA members on to us by email or whatever it is and a constant refrain is oil prices are falling but pump pumps pump prices aren't are the oil companies ripping us off and the point we continually have to make is you are being ripped off but it's actually the Irish government that's doing it and if you look at the amount of tax that's taken in fuel I mean I, I don't argue for a tax-free litre of petrol I mean that's obviously 
not going to be achieved. But if it existed, it would only cost around 57, maybe 60 cent. Uh, now, if you consider the taxes that are on fuel, since the emergency budget of October 2008, there have been five separate tax increases on both road fuels. So they've added about 23 cent per litre in extra taxes on petrol since the crisis began. And that's the reason why, despite the fall in oil, we're only seeing our retail price come down to, well, currently maybe about somewhere between 146 and 150 for a litre of petrol. Were it not for those extra taxes, you'd be looking about maybe 120 to 122 for a litre of petrol on foot of the oil price reduction. It's interesting you say 146, 147 would be the average price of yeah, petrol at it, the minute. It's, it's trending downwards even as we speak, but okay. yeah, it's probably there, thereabouts. Because the a lot of parts of Dublin are 141, 142 that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so what does that mean for other parts of the country? Is, is well, still uh, Dub- Dub- Dublin's a mixed bag. You, c- you can choose to buy very expensive fuel in Dublin or you can seek out the cheap stuff. Um, so on average, Dublin is, is quite a typical region, but there are parts of the country where fuel is distinctly cheaper because of localised pricing factors. South Munster generally, sort of North Cork, South Tipperary into Kerry tends to be a cheap area. There are other parts of the country that tend to be expensive. So as my old economics professor used to joke, if your head's in the oven and your backside's in the freezer, on the average you're comfortable. And there's a bit like that on fuel prices. You will see a rotation plus or minus four or five cent per litre just on the prices that you notice. So buy cheap and and you'll save yourself some money. Yeah, Barry, I'm trying to figure out if cheap oil is actually good or bad for the global economy. There, there are pluses and minuses, aren't there? There certainly are. I mean, the the theory would run that if you're a consuming nation, this is obviously good for you. And we've we've seen various estimates of the kind of transfers that are involved in this on uh, on, on a forty uh, forty dollars fall in the in the cost of a barrel of oil. Um, Martin Wolf has it in our paper this morning that that should result in a transfer of about $1.3 trillion from producing nations to consuming nations. Now, consuming nations would obviously... Sounds great. Yeah, it it sounds fantastic. It should be people like us, uh, fundamentally, countries like Ireland, who don't produce any of their own uh, hydrocarbons at the moment, uh, are the people who should be benefiting from this. Um, that should ultimately result in things like lower costs for businesses, lower costs for consumers. The the sort of the forty or the 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 four or five euro you might be saving on a on a on a liter of petrol or on a tank of petrol rather, you're obviously going to spend it somewhere else. It's going to be recycled on something like bread, milk, whatever. So you should see some sort of theoretical lifting in demand in all of the consuming nations. If you're a producer nation, it's a bit more mixed. If you're the United States right now, and if you're uh, in an area where you depend on people like ConocoPhillips, uh, our uh, intercontinental resources for uh, your work, you might be a bit worried because they are getting less and less for their product, and it's pretty clear that they are going into a price war with the Saudis. The last time that happened, uh, production actually fell in the United States, and its position as the world's biggest producer of hydrocarbons um, was was ended and, and was ended for nearly 30 years, I think. Yeah, uh, Tom, we might take up the US maybe for a moment because I was at a Davy conference this morning where they mentioned that in 2007, production in the US was about 5 million barrels per day or thereabouts. At the minute, it's about 9 million barrels yeah. per day and it's growing by about a million barrels a year. Is that a good or a bad thing? I, th- I think overall, it's, you know, for stability, long-term stability, it's probably a good thing. But, you know, the, the, coming back to the higher economic cost of extracting it through fracking, um, you know, if, you, if, if we're going to have cheap oil, 
then fracking uh, is going to have to get mm. cheaper. We should probably and explain. That may, may you you might just time. explain to listeners what fracking is exactly. Fracking really is, is basically a process that that blasts oil and gas out of, out of rocks uh, and converts it, well, converts it into oil and gas. That's a, And this has been done largely in isolated areas it, It's in been the done US. in a lot of different areas in the US and, and the land laws are different over there that if you own a farm that has a lot of the, this appropriate rock underneath it, well then you can sell the interest in that and, and off you go. It's a lot easier to, to get into that business over there than it ever would be in this part of the world. In fact, there's already huge opposition to fracking and in Ireland, the UK, and I was reading there recently about Eastern Eastern Europe as well for other reasons, but um, it, it is interesting to to look, you know, just looking back at, at at what Barry was saying and Connor was saying that you know in September 2012, Connor's AA figures showed that the price per liter of petrol was 170. Yeah. If you go around the corner from here now, you'll buy it for 140. And my guess is that you're going to head down towards 135 um, be, between now and, and January. So the amount of money that that is putting into the pockets of Irish consumers, this is like interest rates being reduced significantly. Mm. Yeah. In fact, it's even better. And Connor, there are other factors at play, aren't there? There's more cars on the road now um, than yeah. there were, let's say, a year ago. We could have a mild winter. We could have a cold winter. That'll that'll play into it as well. So where, how do you yeah. see it playing out? Uh, well, there's definitely more traffic on the road that's absolutely tangible. And it's evident not just from AA Roadwatch, but other, if you look at things like the NRA's flow data for roads, or even Tom, fuel sales are significantly ahead this year compared to last year, which is another reasonable proxy for Sorry, levels of... not that of much ahead, actually. Well, diesel sales me, are. Diesel, diesel sales, sales are, are yeah. Petrol sales are down, yeah. so they're, they're cancelling each other yeah, out. I, I think what that'll probably show you is that there's more private cars on diesel. In fact, for yeah. new cars, it's it, it, the diesel's majority. And in, in the total fleet, it's still about maybe 55% petrol, 45% diesel, yes. but changing year by year. But diesel, obviously, is the fuel of choice for commercial well, usage. Well, so. well, another interesting thing about the the, the, the car park yeah. is that the average, the average age of a car on Irish roads is now approaching 10 years old. Uh, So, you know, you can say, well, new cars are consuming a lot less fuel. But, you know, to to convince a person who has a 10-year-old car that the next one they buy should be a brand new one. That's a huge, That's quite a step, huge yeah. jump. Actually, car so, sales really tell the story of our of our crash because in the last uh, proper year, so to speak, 2008, there were 183,000 new car registrations in 2008. In 2009, it was down to 50,000. So an astonishing collapse. And even though the industry is reporting a relatively good year this year, that relatively good year is about maybe 61 or 62% of the 2008 level. So what we did have an average age of an Irish car was four years old. It's now, as you say, pushing 10 years old and worsening by the year. But in the broader sense, if you look at oil and what it does, I don't think anybody has yet mastered decoupling oil from economic growth. You kind of have to have one with Mm. the other. So when you've got high oil prices, we get some of the benefits, as Barry was outlining, but it's also telling you that the um, it it shines a window on what's happening in the global economy. And if oil prices are falling because of softening demand, we'll get we'll get a benefit on the oil price, but softening global demand is obviously not good for an economy like ours either. So Barry, are we seeing these reduced uh, oil prices globally coming through in terms of our gas prices, for example, or electricity costs? Um, we're not really seeing much impact on the electricity side. Um, electricity is, is kind of, it's 
it's it's a further step away again um, from crude, from what happens with crude prices. But it is ultimately kind of t- tied to it in, in, in some respects. Uh, gas, we, we, we rely on gas for about 60% of the electricity that we use. Gas prices and oil prices tend to operate in tandem. And gas prices have been very soft this year as well for a separate set of reasons. Um, and we haven't really seen much impact of that in our mm. electricity bills, unfortunately. And our, the, our electricity bills are still far higher than, than the European average. At least part of the problem is the artificial supports, if you like, that we're providing for uh, the renewable sector, for turf burners and for um, a, 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 a few other people with whom the state has contract, contracts to supply electricity. So the, the, it seems to be taking a lot longer. And I actually think that that... It, that issue is something that warrants further exploration because I haven't been able to get a clear answer to it myself. Well, talking about exploration, Tom, uh, in the past couple of years, the notion of oil being um, mined off the coast of Ireland has been has been talked about very much. And we've had companies like Providence Resources and so on uh, exploring in sort of minor ways uh, various uh, potential assets with a soft. I mean, this this oil potentially is very deep in the sea. It's hard to access. It's going to be expensive to get out. When the price of oil was high, it made it, it possible, I suppose, for that kind of investment. But with the price of oil on global markets being low, does it mean that the likes of Providence won't be looking at the Irish Sea now? For well, there hasn't been much uh, interest really in, in exploration around the Irish coast in, in recent years. The, the lower the oil price, the less interest there'll be. There's no doubt about that. For the very reasons you say, it's it's difficult territory. It's not easy to extract the oil uh, in, off the Atlantic and, and places like that. So it isn't good news for energy uh, mm. sufficiency here. Well, a lot of people thought it might be a windfall for the exchequer, didn't well, they? Kind of? Well, yeah, and, and whenever oil prices go up, it gives a huge incentive to things like deep sea exploration or fracking or alternative technologies or even biofuels, Tom, because it was actually, it was That's Maxwell right. did more on biofuels than any other mm. um, oil company in this part of the world, certainly. And for a time, the Irish government was trying to policy incentivise uh, dual fuel cars, cars that were biofuel compatible. Tom, I think I'm right in saying that your network was the only one properly supplying biofuels. And that was really underscored by, I mean, if you remember before the economic crisis, we actually had an oil price uh, crisis because the oil price nearly hit $150 just before the world stopped spinning. And at that stage, there was a huge incentive and interest behind things like electric cars or fracking or non-conventional exploration or biofuels, etc. So, you know, it's, it's funny how the world changed Turns and changed around, yeah. utterly in a short few Barry, months. Barry, we've had talk of fracking in Ireland. I, I think uh, Leitrim has been in focus on that. I know you've covered uh, fracking in, in the past. What are the chances of fracking in Ireland, do you think? Uh, being blunt, I think all bets are off. I think they're they're off primarily for political reasons. Um, and I would say at this stage, they may well also be off for economic reasons as, as well. If prices keep going the way they're going... Now, they, these guys would have been exploring for gas, but irrespective, if prices keep going the way they're going, the technology becomes less less attractive. And the the, the biggest player in, in, in that, Tamboran, has massive interests in Australia and in Africa where it's politically easier, environmentally easier, and it may possibly be also cheaper for them to explore. So I'd be very surprised if we saw fracking this side of 2020, if ever. Okay, Tom, I want you to look into your crystal ball now and tell us over the next 12 months uh, where the price of oil is going to go. How low can it go, do you think? Well, I always find it's better to say it's going to go down rather than say it's it's going to go up. But uh, the the reality is um, that, that, you know, if if you get these sort of spikes uh, or whatever, or or troughs, uh, as we have in this case, um, 
if they're too dramatic, there'll be a bounce back. Um, but as I said already, I think you'll see uh, the, the pump price here drop to closer to 135 over the next few months. Uh, after that, it, there might be some bounce back, I think. Uh, but, you know, longer term as well, if people stop investing and exploring for oil because the economics are suddenly out of kilter, well, then that's only building up a problem in another couple of years. Connor, how, how low do you think prices at the pumps might go? Well, in January 2009, the oil price dropped to $33 per barrel, having been at 150 And that was the last time we paid less than a euro. So at that stage, we paid around 99 cent for a litre of petrol. Now, we've had about 16 cent in additional taxes applied since then. Uh, with the oil price at the moment, what is around 76 or so dollars and trending downwards, well, probably there's enough um, in that pot uh, as it works its way through to us for maybe an extra four or five cent per litre to come off the current price. Were it to get down as, f- as low as 135, I think what would the oil price would have to fall still further, wouldn't it? Just to, to come back, uh, Connor, on, on yeah. that point uh, and the point you were making there about um, the taxes, etc., yeah. etc. You know, if, if Maxol was good enough to give the oil away for nothing, you'd still be paying 90 cent a litre yeah. thereabouts at the pump. Yeah. Um, which uh, it's a marvellous three-card trick the government pulled because I, I get it all the time. People, people blame Tom or they blame Topaz and you try and point out to them that they, Tom might be outrageously getting seven or eight cent a litre from you in margin from one end of the chain to the other, whereas Michael Noonan is taking 90 cent and, and nobody, nobody seems to mind. So um, it's, it's a marvellous little trick the government have pulled to cast the industry as the, the villain of the piece. And Tom, if it does get down to 135, what would that mean for profits for the likes of Maxall? Well, you know, our margin doesn't really change very much because it's a competitive market. And in fact, if we're constantly buying in, in a dropping market, that means we're selling it at, at uh, we're trying to sell it at a higher price than we're actually, well, sorry, the other way around. If it's getting cheaper, we've got dear product on, on hand and we, we have the, the problem of trying to, to dispose of that and remain profitable. So it doesn't necessarily follow that, that uh, we'd have a field day on profits. Uh, competition, generally, is so strong now that you know as I said to you already there's someone around the corner here is already selling for 140 you know, by the time we finish this broadcast they might have it down to 139 <laughs> and Barry might be good for airfares yeah you'd hope so uh, it, it definitely gives the, the airlines and uh, a, bit, a bit of room now to reduce prices especially going into the winter and uh, possibly if they're buying in a forward market coming into the summer as well should definitely be good news on that front Okay, my thanks to Tom Noonan, Chief Executive of Maxall, to Conor Faulkner of the AA, and Barry Halloran, business journalist with the Irish Times. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life September 2014.
I'm now joined on the line by Mark Hennessy, London editor of the Irish Times. Uh, Mark, George Osborne unveiled his autumn statement today and much as was expected, it signalled changes to corporation tax in Northern Ireland, although I believe it does come with some strings attached. Explain it all to us. Well, what he's effectively done is devolved responsibility for devolving corporation tax to Northern Ireland's politicians. He's uh, he said he's willing to do it. He's willing to bring forward legislation uh, before the end of this parliament in May on condition that uh, Northern Ireland parties can make the budget in Northern Ireland work. Now, we are an awful long way from that. Um, we've seen even in the last week where Osborne has had to give another loan uh, to the Northern Ireland executive to uh, keep its books straight. And there are major divisions between uh, Sinn Féin and the Democratic Unionist Party over welfare cuts. Uh, the DUP want to impose uh, similar, or accept the need, more accurately, to impose similar welfare cuts in Northern Ireland to what has already been put through in England and Wales. Uh, Sinn Féin don't. And if there is going to be a deal on corporation tax uh, before the 2015 election, then Sinn Féin are going to have to accept major cuts uh, to the welfare budget. Now, the chances of that happening happening uh, in the run-up to an election campaign, frankly, are quite slim. And the administration in Northern Ireland has been calling uh, for the UK government to allow it set its own corporation tax now for some time. Presumably, they would like it to be down at the level of 12.5% as applies in the Republic. Well, there are different opinions uh, about that because every uh, percentage point that they drop it uh, creates a problem for them because uh, any money they raise um, from 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 a corporation tax controlled by Stormont is reduced from the sum that they get under the Barnett Formula block grant from the Treasury. So if they make massive cuts to the the revenues from corporation tax, that creates a, a gap in overall spending, and that is going to be very difficult for the Northern Ireland executive to fill, given the fact that the uh, public sector is so strong mm. in Northern Ireland, the private sector is so weak, uh, tax revenues uh, have obvious problems that go along with that. So there are different opinions. There is an, a, a general acceptance in Northern Ireland uh, amongst most people that Northern Ireland should have this freedom, but there isn't uh, a complete agreement amongst all of them as to what figure it should be and how they should make up the gap. And as you mentioned, we could have an election next May, um, or it'll be May at the latest, I think. Um, So the clock is ticking. Um, How soon or how short a time frame do they have to sort all this out? Well, we have the current round of inter-party talks at the moment. There have been contradictory signals given by the British government as to how they're going. Even in the last week, uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary, Theresa Villiers, uh, gave a very negative and pessimistic outlook. And then two or three days later, she gave uh, quite a positive one. Uh, David Cameron is expected to go to Northern Ireland next week. Uh, So too is the Taoiseach that usually get the involvement of prime ministers when they're hoping to get close to a deal. Having said that, most people who are... uh, involved in the talks uh, believe there is little likelihood uh, that there is going to be an agreement uh, besides the very difficult issues on the budget that they have to get over. They have problems dealing with flags and emblems and parades and uh, policing, a whole variety of other issues, all of which are going to be very complicated. And there is an expectation that all of this will go into the new year. Now, given past practice in Northern Ireland, uh, no single element of this deal is going to be agreed unless every element of of the um, 
what the package is agreed, and that creates a problem for them because if they're going to get corporation tax devolved, they will have to reach an agreement on all of the issues, and they will have to do so at the very latest, very early in the new year, if there is to be time for this legislation to go through the House of Commons. Frankly, if you were going to petty power, you'd be getting very good odds from that happening. Mark, there's a bit of a problem with background noise. Are there some people chatting behind you? Uh, there are. The, the guys have just asked if you might be able to step away from them. Perhaps I can. Um, uh, we can do this from the top. I'll go to another room. And no, no, it's fine. It's just to take it from here. It's just that if there were... Uh, I, I can't do anything you can't about do it, anything. Okay, not a, not a problem. I can't tell people to, to, yeah, to, sure. to, to be quiet. And uh, Mark, given that uh, there will be an election next May and UKIP is uh, rising every week in the polls, it seems, if UKIP were to have an influence in the next government, uh, what might that mean for this plan for uh, devolved corporation tax? And is this a, a kind of a, a, once, uh, a once-off opportunity for the parties in Northern Ireland to get this power? Well, it is a once-off opportunity, not because of UKIP so much, but because of the Scottish National Party. Now, they're already saying, uh, expressing um, queries about granting devolution to Northern Ireland, not because they disagree with the principle, but they want it themselves. And there is no way the Treasury is going to grant uh, similar freedoms to Edinburgh, because that would create a race to the bottom on uh, in Britain itself, and that is not something that they would tolerate. Uh, so... Uh, it, Northern Ireland really does have one, uh, probably one decent chance at it uh, this side of the election. The difficulty is that both the two main parties, as I said, that the DUP and Sinn Féin, have very different views on uh, welfare. They've been very uh, much poles apart for the last couple of years. There hasn't been very much movement in them. And if there is going to be an agreement now, there is going to have to be very substantial and very sp- speedy movement by one or both parties. And as of now, you can't really uh, see that happening. Um, Any other key points in his statement? Well, uh, interestingly, he is announcing that he's going to impose a penalty tax on multinationals operating in Britain, and basically uh, they will investigate the profits that are made in Britain by multinationals in their operations there, and if they believe that those uh, profits have been improperly or artificially shifted out of the country, then they're going to impose a 25% tax on profits. Now, that, as you know, is higher than the standard uh, corporation tax that is now uh, in place in Britain, so they're effectively saying play straight or we'll charge you more and uh, they were very quick to make uh, an association with uh, the so-called double Irish agreement so there's no doubt that the uh, tax practices that have been evident in Dublin for some time and which are controversial in many quarters are certainly controversial with people in the Treasury. Sure and I know he's introduced some new measures for stamp duty is that right? Yes, uh, Osborne is, a, is a, from a tactical point of view, is uh, extremely clever, and this uh, change is going to be quite popular with the majority of uh, house buyers. Uh, basically, stamp duty is going to be changed; it's going to become progressive. Um, so people will will pay uh, higher sums as they go up higher through the bands rather than having a situation as happens now where if you buy a property it's worth over uh, um, a couple of hundred thousand you start paying 7% and uh, he will have a situation now whereby those uh, 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 taxes will be progressively introduced and he's saying that 98% of house buyers will benefit and only the very rich will pay more uh, 6-8 months out from an election that is the kind of message that uh, any uh, Chancellor would uh, like to give 
from a spending point of view, he is also making the point, however, that uh, this is not a giveaway budget or, or, or autumn statement, that there are going to be uh, major pain and suffering to be accepted in the course of the next uh, British uh, administration, certainly in the first two years of it. And they're not expecting to have their current spending back in balance for another five years. But there is some extra spending on the NHS. There is, but uh, it's an extra two billion. And uh, I mean, uh, tactically, again, we're seeing that penalties on banks uh, for uh, uh, offences on financial trading and whatnot are being diverted to the NHS. So it's all very political. Uh, it's, it's not something that you can do on, a, on an annual basis. You may be able to find the money for uh, the extra sums uh, in year one from such wheezes, but you have to find uh, similar sums in every other year from general taxation. And that's going to be a problem particularly at a time when uh, the British population is ageing. In fact, one of the most striking figures that was given in the House of Commons in the last couple of weeks came from the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, uh, recently, where he made the point that Britain now has one million more old-age pensioners in 2014 than it did in 2010. And that obviously is imposing major pressure on spending. And Mark, in your opinion, uh, will this help to boost the Conservatives' poll ratings and and possibly ward off uh, UKIP? Um, well, I think at the moment they're they're more targeted on the economy against uh, Labour, but they need to. Uh, they're already uh, ahead of Labour in terms of public perception about uh, economic performance and, and competence, and this is about smashing that message home. Uh, they will fight UKIP very much on immigration grounds and other issues rather than on the economy. Okay, Mark Hennessy, our London editor, thank you for joining us. And that's it for this week. I'd like to thank Declan Conlon for producing the show and sound engineer JJ Vernon. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.